Um, let's just pray before we go any further. Um, yeah, Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you uh, for what you are doing already here amongst us. And we pray that you'd uh, use what I can bring uh, to extend your kingdom within us and around us. And uh, I pray that we would all hear from you this morning. Amen. Um, so last week, Alid kicked us off. We had uh, a great introduction to the book of Colossians, and we are going to carry that on today. I'm, I'm picking up the second of, in our series, and there are seven in total. And if my laptop will work, I'll get to my notes. Um, so yeah, so Alid gave us a bit of an introduction to the book, uh, to the letter, really, and just a few things to remind ourselves on that. Um, I'm not going to go into all of it. You can listen to it. It'll be on Church Suite. There you go. It's working. Um, so this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae in around AD 60. Um, he was probably in prison. We're pretty sure he was in prison. Not 100% sure where, but he was probably in prison. And he's writing to a group of people he's never met in a church he didn't plant. So he's writing to a group of strangers but he's concerned enough about them not only to write from prison and send a message at least 100 miles away. It could have been hundreds, depending on where he was imprisoned. There's some debate about that, but we won't talk about that. Um, he cares enough for them. Um, and, and one of the key focuses and themes throughout the, message, uh, throughout the letter is around understanding and knowledge and wisdom and Alid sort of introduced us to that last week a little bit, and we'll hear more about that over the coming weeks. Um, but it's this, it's this really uh, strong theme throughout, and when he's praying for them at the beginning or talking about what he prays for them, it's a theme he draws out really strongly. Um, <clears throat> so um, throughout, he's encouraging... The, the group of believers in, Coloss in Colossae to, to grow in knowledge and wisdom. And um, we get lots of these encouragements and there's lots of you statements. But then this week, we're going to shift focus a little bit because he stops talking about you and he starts talking about him. And it's this really poignant and incredible passage that we're going to dig into. Um, and, and sometimes we need to lift our heads a little bit. And yes, God is saying things to us and he's instructing us. But sometimes we need to just lift our heads and look at him and remind ourselves about him. And what we get here, thanks Janet, what we get here is um, an incredible poem. You know, in the middle of this letter of instruction, we get this beautiful uh, 14-line poem. Um, and so we're going to start off by reading the first half of that. And what I will just say is, it's too rich for me to unpack in 30 minutes. There's way more in here than I could ever unpack. So please go away, chew on it, talk about it. Um, and if you get annoyed that I haven't picked up on your favorite part of this, that, how it connects to something else, bear with me and just trust that God's at work. So... Um, yeah, let's, let's start off. I'll, I'll draw out some things I wanted to say about Jesus 
and then I'll talk about why it matters or why I think it matters for us at the end. So the first couple of verses then. The Son, that's Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We'll stop here. Keeps going. We'll, we'll cover the rest later. I think there's a nice half-time break, which we'll pick up on in a minute. But let's, let's just look at what we think the first, these first few verses tell us about Jesus. So firstly, Jesus reveals God. That is this role that Jesus has. And um, yeah, just, you know, it says there, he is the image of the invisible God. Without him, we cannot know God. God is invisible, except that Jesus makes him visible. Um, and I think some of us think and assume that that's because, yeah, of course, he became a human being and he became very visible. But actually, it was before that. I think what this is telling us is actually, and you'll see, this, this first half is all focused on creation. Jesus, from the very beginning, in all that he was doing, was making God known to us and making God known. So he creates everything, and in doing that, he's making God visible to us. And we get a similar message in John 1. Like if you want to read John 1, when you're looking at this later and chewing over this further, John 1 sort of parallels really well with this passage. And John introduces Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And um, it's just it's part of Jesus' nature to communicate God to us, to everybody. And um, yeah, it's just one of the things I wanted to draw out. Secondly, Jesus is Lord over creation. He is the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created. So just in case you, you need me to spell out what that means, it means he's been at work since before time began, creating everything that there is. Everything we have is because of Jesus. Again, let's shift our focus out of, dare I say, just the cross. I don't mean just the cross, but you know what I mean. Actually, he is powerful beyond that. He is incredible beyond that. He's done everything that could be done to bring about what we live in now. Again, if we go to John 1, it's put like this. He was with God in the beginning... Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. He designed it. He came up with the idea of everything we have around us, and then he followed through and made it. And I don't know about you, but that, that makes me just amazed at his power, but also just incredibly 
uh, overwhelmed by how much he deserves the glory and the praise. We are all subject to what he has done for us. So that's the second thing, except that it's not quite it, because just in case you thought you understood what all things means, and Paul just really wants to make the point clear, okay? Because he could have just said, you know, in him all things were created. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He actually makes sure that we're not missing something here. And he expands it. And um, he, he decides he's going to give us a little bit more detail. So when you talk about going out into creation, what do you think of? You think of going on a walk in the countryside or down by the sea or being away skiing in the mountains, whatever it is for you. And maybe all of us, when we think of creation, we think of things like that. And, it, and actually, Paul just maybe is just encouraging us to think beyond just our first thought around creation. So it's not just things here on earth, but it's also things in heaven or in the heavens. You know, this is a cosmic creation. Jesus has created all things beyond just our own planet. It's not just the things that are visible. It's also the invisible things. Just in case you were thinking, yeah, okay, I guess there's some stars up there and some planets out there. It's, it's the invisible. And that's incredible. In preparing this, I was quite overwhelmed thinking through, you know, that, that means things that are so atomically small that you, you can't see them. It's, it's about things that have in their very nature, you know, we, you, you can't see them. But he's made all of that. But also, it goes beyond that to things which are, you know, fairly abstract. You know, love. You can't see it. It's not visible. He created that very concept. Identity. Knowledge and wisdom. Time. Melody and harmony, community, well, you know, all of these things. Seriously, have a sit down at some point and just think about the things in your life that you cannot see and you can't even touch necessarily, but I would actually just marvel at the way Jesus has made those things. And then, and this is maybe a little less comfortable, he also expands and explains that he's made rulers, thrones, powers, and authorities. And just in case you're thinking that's a really easy thing to say, Paul is writing from prison. And he's writing under the rule of Emperor Nero, who is notorious as being the, the biggest killer of Christians that any Roman Empire saw. So this isn't a convenient thing to say, but the very structures that underpin the world we live in and that we adhere to come from God's creation, from what Jesus created in the beginning. We'll come to that. It's not that comfortable, but let's not rush over that. But let's just remind ourselves that all of that stuff is subject to his lordship. He is lord over all of it. Okay, it's that second thing. Thirdly, oh no, 
Thirdly, all things were created for him. Jesus had a purpose. Jesus was being intentional, and it was not for a a whim. Jesus created all things for Jesus. It was for his pleasure. He didn't need us. He chose us. It was a deliberate act. And we'll come back to that again shortly. But that's, that's the first half of the, this poem. And I think as a little light reprieve, we should just have a little halftime entertainment. So let's just consider the, I won't call it classic, um, but the 2004 sci-fi movie starring Will Smith. Thought it'd be a really good idea to go paperless. So the year is 2035. And obviously, humanity has created human-like robots to do everything that they need, to care for them, to fulfill all sorts of roles in society. That is where we find ourselves. And it will not surprise you to know that artificial intelligence is at the, the cause of all that goes wrong here. So artificial intelligence comes in and infiltrates the robots. I'm sorry, you've had 20 years to watch this, so I'm not going to apologize for spoilers. Um, Artificial intelligence infiltrates and things start to go wrong. The robots, they start to function in a way that is contrary to their original design and purpose. They start to commit crimes, people are murdered, and eventually an uprising of the robots leads to the suppression of humankind. And... um, They place their creators beneath them. And frankly, I was was drawn to this because when I consider what we've just gone through about all of creation, I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. The power to, to conceive and create all of that is incredible. And yet I'm also overwhelmed that as I look at the BBC News app on my phone, it tells me that it's all a mess. And it's... It's full of pain, and it's full of exploitation, and godlessness, and hedonism, and materialism, and yeah, pain, and suffering. Um, and so there's a, a bit of a, a contradiction between the way that Hollywood would pitch the ending in this scenario, where things have not gone in line with how they were originally intended because the Will Smith Hollywood ending in iRobot is naturally I'm sure you can imagine if you've watched any Will Smith films, is naturally for there to be lots of chaos and, and fighting but ultimately for the original creators, i.e. humans to crush and destroy the uprising that is the Hollywood ending kill it off put to an end anything that would come up against how it was originally intended to be. But Jesus, fortunately, for many reasons, but particularly in this situation, doesn't do things the way Hollywood does. There's a different script here. And so it leads us on to verse 17, which is a bit of a bridge, I think, between the two halves of this poem. He is before all things... And in him, 
all things hold together. So we get this confirmation and affirmation of what we've already read. He's before all things. He set things in motion. He created things. But we also hear, loud and clear, he is in the midst of it, holding it together. All things exist because of him, and they continue to exist because of him. This is not the Will Smith ending. The Jesus place in this story is that he is in the midst of it. He is there, holding it together. And it gets better. Let's read the second half. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's in Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, what does the second half tell us about Jesus? Well, verse 18. It tells us that Jesus doesn't just reveal God. He was pleased to have all the fullness of God dwell in Jesus. So in the first half, we hear that Jesus reveals God, and now he goes a step further, and he brings God into creation. Suddenly, God has flesh and bones. At this point where intervention is required, Jesus steps right in. All of that stuff we've just talked about, all of the greatness of Jesus, his incredible power, his lordship over everything is distilled down into a baby. And his intervention is put in, in a manger. And that's how Jesus steps in. It's so far from the Hollywood ending, you know? This isn't about overpowering and resetting and destroying. It's about something new. And just look at that word. He was pleased to do it. That doesn't mean he was pleased to go ahead and do what was necessary, a bit like, you know, I'm pleased I did the laundry because now I don't have to do it. It's he was pleased because this was what he intended to do. It was for his pleasure to carry on seeing through everything that he had started. And here we are in the middle of this poem and we get that he is the beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn, that's the same word we heard earlier. Instead of firstborn over creation, it's now firstborn from among the dead. But why are we talking about the beginning? In the middle. Because Jesus brought about a new beginning when it needed it, 
when the reset was there, he stepped in and started again. Not with destruction, but with his own sacrifice. And this new beginning started when he rose from the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead. And so, what does that mean? Well, the firstborn, he is starting something new. And all of that despair that we get as we look around at the world, as I'm sure they looked around at the world just before Jesus' time, or as Jesus came, they would have seen despair. And they wouldn't have realized quite to what extent, but Jesus was starting something new. And Paul wants the Colossians to grasp that. This is a new thing. And again, we get a bit of a clarification of just what Jesus is doing. This new beginning isn't just for certain group of people this is a cosmic level new beginning he is to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross so his his plan his reaching down his new beginning is for the whole of creation all the things we talked about earlier, it's all of that stuff. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. As I look around at the structures and the powers and authorities and thrones, as I consider all the visible and invisible stuff there is, Jesus is Jesus' work on the cross brings all of that back. He is restoring all of that. He is putting all of that into a new beginning. Just something I thought was... Pretty amazing, but also hopeful. And then the last point before we talk about what this actually means um, is just around the purpose. You know, we talked earlier about the fact that Jesus had a purpose. um, And his new plan is a continuation of that. God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So Jesus created all things for Jesus, but now Jesus reconciles all things to Jesus. He's done something so that everything could be brought back to him. You know, he set about creating it in the first place. It unraveled and went wrong And yet he stepped in so that it could be brought back to him. And again, it's his pleasure to do it. You know, it is his pleasure to fulfill the plan he had. Just want to talk about reconciliation. Um, I think it's a word we use a lot. And as an accountant, it's a word I use a lot in work. And I thought, you know... Wouldn't everybody love an accounting chat? <laughs> Fortunately, uh, we don't have much time, so I'll keep it brief. But reconciliation is just about two things that have a difference. And the reconciliation process identifies what is missing between these two things. In numerical terms, it is saying, okay, I was expecting to have 10 pounds in my pocket at the end of the day. Because when I left this morning, I had 10 pounds in my pocket. 
And then at the end of the day, it's saying, oh, but yeah, I did, I did buy that coffee, and I did, oh, and then somebody paid me that, and then, and it's trying to understand what is the difference between two different things, and making sure we understand that, but also making sure that we bridge that gap. And what Jesus did is he's, he created something in the beginning, and then throughout time, it went all over the place and was completely in a mess. And then the reconciling he did when he died and rose again, when he paid the price at the end, was to say, all of that unraveling, all of the ways that that has gone away from its original purpose and place, let's put that right. Let's make everything how it should have been in the beginning. Let's pay the price to cover everything that's gone before. I just thought it was worth dwelling on that. And, and, and just think about the word, reconciliation. It just means to bring together again or, or bring back together. You can't reconcile something to something that it never was. You know, it's got to be a relationship between where it is now and where it started. Um, so it's about bringing things back into agreement. I'll, I'll leave the accounting chat there. And creation, just, just while we're talking about the purpose, creation is still for Jesus. The new creation is even more so. We know that because he's, he came in and part of his new plan was to create the church, which it says he is the head of. So in this new beginning, he is create this new vehicle, as it were, this new way that he is going to bring about his kingdom. And he's the head. And it, it's strange. We, it, he's done it. It is finished. Verse 20 tells us that he made peace through his blood shed on the cross. That reconciliation that we were talking about, that price has been paid. He paid it on the cross. It is done. And yet we look around and my BBC app still tells me that the world is a mess and that there is more to do and we are not there yet. And I think we probably know that on an individual level. And we know that in our communities and we know that in our world. But actually we know it cosmically as well. Jesus is making all things new. Okay, so as I say, those are some observations I had from the two different halves of this poem. And uh, just a little recap, using the, that bridge verse I talked about. He is before all things, and in him all things to hold together. He reveals God to us, and then he goes a step further and brings God to us. He was Lord of all creation, and then he's Lord of the new creation, the new beginning. And Jesus had a purpose from the start, and he continues to have a purpose, and he is seeing that through. So that is Paul, frankly, in the middle of this letter, just kind of going off on one about how incredible Jesus is. Incredible that all that he has done and is doing. He is ensuring that this 
this group of believers is in no doubt whatsoever as to the incredible work of Jesus. But it does beg the question, or at least it could beg the question if you're the sort of person who doesn't just really love this stuff. You know, what's the point? Um, And so I thought, just to wrap up, three things that I think are the point for us to take away quickly, three quick things. The first is salvation. Because before this poem and straight away after this poem, we get these incredible words that help us help us to realize that although this is cosmic, although this reaches to the far end of the universe, it's also about you and me. It's about individuals. It's about ensuring that each of us understands and knows that we are part of this plan and part of what God has done. And so Jesus redeemed us, forgave our sins, and reconciled us in his flesh to present us holy and blameless. There's that word reconcile again. Just For you, if you need to remember that, if you need to know that actually this reconciling work of Jesus, how he died and rose again, it might be that there's somebody here that that's really important for and you need to ask some more questions about that. If it is you, then please do that and don't let that slip. Um, that's, that's important. So that's one of the reasons why this matters. Second thing is understanding. There's this really circular argument at the start in verse 9 where Paul says, we want you to understand and have knowledge and wisdom so that you understand. And it's almost like there's a a reason for just knowing. But it can't be a reason that's about puffing yourself up. It's not about an academic understanding. Um, I feel like it's important that we just get to grips with the idea that the more we know God, the more we grow in relationship with him. And the more we grow in relationship with him, the more we know him. I became a Christian through a very powerful meeting with God. It was a, a moment of relationship suddenly started where I knew God for myself and I knew the most tangible peace I have ever known in my life. It was the start of a relationship. And that set me on course for many years of understanding him more. And it gave me a thirst to read my Bible and pray and work out what this means in community and talk to people. And and all of that stuff meant I knew God more. And there should be this cycle of Knowing stuff about God should fuel our relationship with him. And as we spend time with him and know him more, we should want to know more about him. I've put this picture up here because actually there are seasons in life. There are seasons where we feel disconnected. There are seasons where that relationship is hard and maybe even feels not there. But if we have an understanding of who God is, and we know his heart, we know his character, we know what he is like, 
and what he has done. It's okay to say, actually, I'm going to push through and keep doing the things I know to be true, even though I don't feel it. I think that's important. There are also seasons of doubt. I remember when I was at university having what I would probably, though it wasn't diagnosed by a doctor, what I'd probably call depression for a, probably a six-month period where I doubted everything and I felt empty in myself. And yet, I was able to draw on the fact that Jesus had changed my life and my relationship with him was an anchor, a foundation for me. The tangibility of that peace that I experienced was something that could never change. And I, my own doubts couldn't overcome that. Um, so there are seasons. And hopefully there are seasons where we grow in understanding and we grow in relationship. And hopefully, hopefully, that's the majority of the time where we feel closer to God and we also understand more about him. So, that's point two. Understand more, because it will help you grow in your relationship with, with God. And then finally, and just to clarify, that is a picture of a golden retriever there. Um, it's fairly small. I had somebody who thought it was something else. There's a golden retriever basking in the sunlight. It is nothing else. Anyway, just thought I'd make sure that was clear in case anyone was misconstruing what that was. Um, yeah, the, the final point is around worship. Understanding more about Jesus matters because this is who we worship. Um, one of the main themes of Colossians is thankfulness. And understanding what Jesus has done allows us to be thankful for things. <laughs> we can be thankful for what he's done. And maybe there's nothing at all that's been new on these slides. Maybe it hasn't changed your, your understanding, but that's okay. Um, but hopefully we can all worship. And I'm going to ask Joe and the, the band if they can come back up. And, um, and we're going to do some of that right now. We are going to worship together. Um, just before we do... Just, just thought it was worth asking a couple of questions. When you know God and when you understand what Jesus has done, um, what, what does that do within you? How does that fuel your worship? What overflows from you? If he has supremacy over everything, we should adore him for that. We should thank him for that. And I know that's not groundbreaking. But that is important. And I guess the last thing I want to say is, or ask is, is what does that mean for you? Because I know in church we kind of box in what worship is and we, we get someone like Joe who's, and these guys, all, all this team, who are wonderfully talented to lead us in singing. But actually for you, it could look very different. I'm, I'm struck that actually Paul could have written a list for us in Colossians 1 about the supremacy of Christ. He could have just given us a spreadsheet. 
That would have been great. But he didn't. He gave us a poem. He gave us something that was full of creativity, that bubbled over with expression. And actually, we're called to do the same thing in response. It's not about fitting in with somebody else's way of doing it. When you worship, worship in a way that expresses who you are and where you're at. And you know, if, if you want to write, write. Draw, paint, make stuff. Yes, sing, play, speak something out. But whatever you do, give him the glory. Focus on Jesus. Thank him for what he's done. Um, so yeah, do it your way. Is that okay? Um, I'm going to pray. And then we, I'm just going to hand over to Joe and we're just going to worship. I say just. We're going to worship the creator of all things. The sustainer of all things. The one who reconciled us to him who paid the price and started a new beginning to give hope to all things. That's what we're going to do. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for the fact that we can comprehend just a small part of that. And Jesus, this week, as we live would we remember you? Would we remember who we are because of you? And would we be changed because of you? Thank you, Lord. Amen.